Welcome back to the Owner Operator Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Gray. And in this episode, I'm hosting Phil Burrows. Phil currently still holds a W 2 job, but he also just purchased a tree and landscape business. So if you're interested in keeping your W 2 job and getting into small business ownership, this episode is specifically for you. Stick around, listen to this episode. You can hear how Phil is managing his time between a W 2 job, a business, and his family. And if you're liking these episodes, please make sure to like, comment, and subscribe if you're listening on YouTube. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, would you mind to give us a like, follow, and a five-star review? It really helps us get our content in front of other people who want to start or grow a local service business. Finally, this episode is brought to you by Owner Ops. Owner Ops is an online resource hub specifically for service-based business owners. We have video content, we have private Slack channel with other service business owners. And if you'd like to check it out, you can visit ownerops.com. That's O-W-N-R-O-P-S.com. Without further ado, let's jump into the episode with Phil. Still have a W-2 job, right? I do, yeah, I still have a full-time job. Um, and where is that? I work for a FinTech. Uh, so a lot of the people I work with it, are on the West Coast. I work remotely. Everybody works remotely. A lot of people I work with are on the West Coast. So their day doesn't get started until, you know, like 9 a.m. Pacific time. I'm in the central time zone in Tennessee. So I've like, even when I didn't have a side thing, I normally had like a couple hours in the morning, depending on how early I got up, two, three hours in the morning to like focus on uh, like deep work or like uninterrupted work. And so what that has allowed me to do with the business is that's when I get a chance to like really kick things off for the day or like focus on uh, any of the, the longer term investments I'm trying to make. So um, yeah, it's been a bit of a, a juggle. I actually, I mentioned I had kids and I mentioned that I have a seven month old. So the timing of the business acquisition coincided with the timing of the birth of my daughter who is seven months old. So back in the very end of May, my daughter was born on June 5th. Um, I closed on the business on May 31st. So basically a week after that, my daughter was born. The company I work for my day job, I get paternity leave. So I had um, basically two months of paternity leave that I took at that point. Um, And during that paternity leave, I was spending like every day in the business, uh, just like, you know, spending 50 to 60 hours a week trying to learn the thing, trying to understand uh what made it work what what didn't work uh trying to wrap my head around things um i didn't so the company i own is a tree and landscaping business i didn't have any like specific tree experience before i bought it and so those first couple months were really about learning things um and like understanding not just like the business side of things but just understanding the nitty-gritty details of the day-to-day and like how we how we bring trees down how we quote jobs, how we make money, um, what kind of things do we lose money on, like all that kind of stuff. And so I was working on that basically seven days a week for that entire period of time that I was off from my day job. Um, so the timing of that worked out well, but it's also like super, super chaotic uh, having a newborn around and also trying to do that. Um, yeah. And then from there, like after I went back to work, so a month before I returned to my day job, I hired a general manager to basically like run the day-to-day things. Um, You know, just like do quoting of jobs, uh, send the crews off, like get everybody set up for the day. Um, And so I had a month of like training him on the job before I had to return to my nine to five. Uh, And that worked out, that worked out pretty well. I don't know that I would change anything. I don't know that I would change a whole lot about how I did that if I had a chance to do it again. It seemed like that was the best way to do it. But anyway, so that's where I'm at today. So why did you decide to buy a tree and landscape business? I mean, there was nothing like specifically about tree and landscaping that I was really looking for. Um, But I had had an itch for a really long time to start a business or to buy a business. Um, 
like for multiple years. And it had gotten to the point where I was like thinking about it way too much. Um, to the point where I told my wife at the beginning of last year, I said, like, I'm committing this year to either do it or stop thinking about it. Like I, it's taking up too much mental bandwidth. I'm either going to start a business or I'm going to buy one, or we're never going to talk about this again at the end of this year. So I, um, I spent a whole lot of time in the first four months of the year being really intentional about looking for businesses, about thinking through different business ideas. Um, interestingly, I wasn't specifically looking for a tree business to buy, but if I were to start a business, it was going to be one of the options was a tree business. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, so I live in Memphis. Memphis has just a lot of really mature trees. Um, especially out, I live out in the suburbs and I just have always thought like a good tree business could print money out here. Uh, and so if I was going to start a business, that's what I was going to do. The other thing is I live, we have a little bit of space here. I live on a little bit of land and we have, I don't know, hundreds of trees. Uh, and if I'm honest with you, probably like 50 of them need to come down. And so this is probably not a good reason to buy a business or start a business, but I was like, well, you know, if I start the business, I could learn at my own place. I could go slowly. I could acquire the equipment as needed to like figure things out here. Um, if I screw something up, I don't have anybody angry with me other than myself. Uh, it seemed like pretty low risk from that perspective. But the more I thought about it, man, tree businesses are like very equipment heavy business, yours too. Um, and so like to do that, I have to find, I have to buy a skid steer almost certainly. I have to buy a bucket truck. I have to buy a grapple truck. I have like the list goes on. Right. And before you know it, you know, you got at least a couple hundred grand in equipment that I would have to buy just to like start something. And so being that I now am in a different stage of life than I was, you know, a decade ago when I was willing to take more risks. Um, with kids, with a wife, uh, my wife doesn't work, you know, my family's entirely dependent upon my ability to earn income. And so I'm, if I'm honest, I'm like a little bit more risk averse now than I was previously, you know, a decade ago, I'd have been like, whatever, let's do it. Um, and I've done other things that, you know, risked a bunch of money and uh, some of them turned out, some of them didn't turn out. And I was fine with that. But I was like risk averse to the point that I just, the more I thought about starting from scratch, spending a couple hundred grand with no guarantee of any kind of like, no guarantee that I could get clients, no guarantee that I could convince people to pay for our services, the less appealing that seemed to me. And so it was at that point, I started pivoting away from that and really started focusing specifically on searching for a business to buy. And when I was searching for a business, I wasn't looking specifically for a, a tree business. I was just looking for something that was profitable that I could like sink my teeth into uh, and really have confidence that I could grow over time. And so it just so happened that the business that I found was a tree business, but that was more coincidence than like specifically looking for that. Is this business in your area? Like did you have geographic constraints? I did have geographic constraints. Um, I was looking for something specifically in the Memphis area. We weren't going to move. Um, I have flexibility with my day job. I work remotely, but my wife born and raised in Memphis, spent her entire life in Memphis. Um, we have family here again, now that we have kids, grandparents are here. Like we're just not moving our kids. We're not moving um, our family. And we had just bought a new house, like, you know, less than a year prior that my wife and I, when we bought it, had the idea, like, this is the place where we will be for a really long time. And so, yeah, I was specifically looking in the Memphis area. So I live in Germantown, which is a suburb on the east side of Memphis. Uh, the business is based in Millington, which is kind of a suburb on the north side of Memphis. So when I go to, we have a lot in Millington where we keep all of our equipment, where we meet up for the day with the crew and everything. Uh, that drive for me in the morning is like 40 minutes. So I basically 
drive across town to make that happen. And whenever you were looking for this business, how did you end up finding it? So I found it in the place I did not think I was going to find a business, which is biz by sell. Um, if you spend any time on biz by sell, there's just a bunch of trash on there, honestly, and a bunch of franchises. And I was specifically not wanting a franchise. Um, I don't know that I can articulate exactly why, but it, it just always had like an aversion to a franchise, at least being the first business that I, that I have. Um, I mentioned I'm more risk averse, but there's, I don't know. I, I'm still very prideful. And so I wanted to fail or succeed on my own abilities and my own merits. And again, this is probably uh, not super healthy pride, but, you know, franchise, to me, there, there are two downsides of it um, at a very high level. The first is uh, it always, whether this is true or not, I always had the idea that like my upside would be capped with a franchise because um, I would always be paying, um, you know, fees to uh, to the parent company. And then the the other side of it is that my downside would also be limited. And I don't know that that might seem an interesting thing to people, but like, I care very much about being good at what I do and succeeding on my own merits. And so there's some part of me that's like, no, 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 no. If the business is going to fail, I want it to fail. And I want to learn the lessons of failure. And I want to like, I don't know, it, this might be a little masochistic, but like, I want to learn that I wasn't good enough to do that thing. <laughs> um, and so I just kind of like wrote off franchises pretty early on. Uh, but like the vast majority of the other stuff that's listed on Biz by Sell, at least in the Memphis area, is like pretty worthless. Um, and so I had looked at a bunch of other places. I was cold calling businesses. I was doing all that kind of stuff. But where I found this business was on Biz by Sell. It had been listed for uh, over a year. Turns out that the previous owner had had multiple offers, had actually gotten really close to selling a couple times, um, and just like had things fall through. Uh, so, and when I made an offer on the business, there was another offer that came in like within days. So, uh, it was a business that was like desirable. Now, we can talk about whether or not knowing what I know today, it would still be desirable, but it was a desirable business um, from the numbers and uh, what I was able to to find out about it. Um, but yeah, it was just like publicly listed through a broker in Nashville. Can we start with what made it desirable, whether that's numbers or just something specific that you identified early on? Yeah, I mean, uh, numbers. And I mean, numbers were, were the main thing. Numbers and um, my perspective on the opportunity for growth. So uh, I'll just like run you through the, the numbers really quick. So I paid, um, I think I paid 875000 for the business. Uh, the SDE number that was published was... 400 grand after due diligence and a bunch of back and forth, the SDE number was actually closer to 300. And the previous owner was like deeply involved in the business, right? Like he was like in the day to day making it happen, uh, not really paying himself a salary outside of the SDE number. So, like, right off the top, if I was going to hire somebody, I knew that was coming down. Um, those are the like the base numbers. The reason it was interesting to me is because I mentioned it was based in Millington. So Millington is, you know, like 20 minutes outside of Memphis. Um, but they were not doing any real work in Memphis at all. Memphis is a is a large city, over a million people. Uh, there are some like pretty affluent suburbs on the east side. And this business was not like attempting to take advantage of those at all. And the rationale from the previous owner was like, well, I got enough. I have as much work as I can handle in Millington. I haven't really looked to like expand into Memphis. And so that seemed like a really obvious opportunity for growth going forward. I wanted to buy something that I could grow over time and not just like buy something that would remain 
stagnant and stable. Um, the other thing that made it interesting to me was the business's reputation was pretty good. It had a like a long-standing reputation, existing customer list on the like on the mowing side. So we do tree work, mowing, and then like landscape work, which is like you know installs, uh, drainage work, like stuff like that. So the existing customer list on the mowing side was like pretty decent. And a lot of the landscaping and tree work would come from those customers, right? So like, that was interesting to me. It was a fairly healthy business with some upside. Now you mentioned something not being desirable. Hmm about it you want to dive into that yeah i mean i like there's only so much i did a bunch of work in the context of like the financial due diligence um you know i hired i hired a guy to help with that we had a 30-day due diligence period and really dug into the books and i uh, the books were a miss but um i built like a, a good amount of confidence about the financial situation of the business um and so like i think i had good clarity about what that the reality actually looked like which was you know not quite as rosy as as the picture that was painted on the listing which i think is probably pretty standard and like i said you know the sde number was closer to 300 than 400 that they claimed um but i was like fine with that i knew i was going to have a whole lot more expenses right like i was going to have to lease the lot back from the current owner i was going to have um so the the owner there's a seller note like seller finance note for 20 percent of the purchase price i knew i was going to have like that financing cost i knew there were going to be like a bunch of additional costs what i didn't know and what i really didn't like have the expertise to understand is how much i was going to have to spend on honestly like equipment maintenance and upkeep i should have spent more time like really digging into the health of the existing equipment you know i just kind of like wrote it off which is like it's all like old stuff and i just wrote it off as as like oh these are old you know like diesel trucks that have been running great forever and they'll probably continue running great and i just didn't like do much to like dig into them but like all the pickups every pickup as is, is at least 15 years old um and there are five of them uh the bucket truck i had was like 20 years old the grapple truck is 20 years old right like and these are all pieces of equipment that do last a long time but um i think if I had to do it all over again, I would have attempted to negotiate the price down quite a bit because of the age of the equipment. The only stuff that isn't super old, we have a, we have a couple mini skid steers, and those are both like two years old, um, with a decent amount of hours on them, but like in in good upkeep. But everything else, other than those two pieces of equipment, is like old, needs to be replaced, and I didn't really like factor that in. So that's one thing um the other thing is like i haven't been able to get the right people hired so i've got i've got some people that have been like really good um but like apart from that like small core um hiring has been a problem that has that was much much has been much much more difficult than i expected it to be and it's just like an entirely different space than i have experience in when it comes to hiring right like i've hired fired plenty of people i lead a, a pretty large team at my day job but it's in tech right and so like hiring is very different um motivating those people is very different keeping them engaged is very different the tools that i have at my disposal to um to like keep them engaged and and evaluate performance and like reward performance and 
all that kind of stuff is just like very, very different. And I think I probably naively, in retrospect, assumed that it would be very easy to translate my experience with managing large teams to managing the employees of the business. And some of it, some of it has translated well. Um, but like other things, I've honestly just like had to learn how to do differently uh, because it's just a different, it's a different persona that is employed at a tech company than is employed at a tree company and they need different approaches. And so again, if you're asking me about like what hasn't been super desirable, honestly, like the pain of that, just like. That has been such a pain. If I didn't have to, this is gonna sound terrible. If I didn't have to deal with people, man, this business would be so easy to run. <laughs> like people, people have been difficult. But the truth and the reality is like, it's the lifeblood of the business, right? Somebody's got to cut those trees. Somebody's got to- It really is. Yeah. It really is. And I had always heard, you know, like, <clears throat> Everything that I had read before, everything I'd heard, all the research I had done is like scaling a business and running a business goes through stages, right? There's like the owner operator stage where you were like in the day to day, you were making work happen, right? It's like you and like maybe a couple employees. Um, and you can get like really good at that. But there's, and then there's like the other end of it, which is like you have scaled the business to like 10 million in revenue and you have like, hierarchies in place and processes in place and all these kinds of things. And like running that business is like, you know, you can get that to a well-oiled machine, but there's like this valley in the middle of scaling a business from like one to 5 million in revenue, where it is just like such a slog where you don't have, you're not big enough to benefit from some of the efficiencies of scale that you would at, at a larger company, but you're also too big to keep running things as they had run before. And so, like that's been a lot of what I've had to deal with. The previous owner had run this business for 25 plus years, um, but it scaled it from just like him mowing people's lawns, you know, over the course of like two and a half decades to what it is. And like the way he did things worked for him, but it's just like nothing really changed as he grew things. And so like a lot of the business was run just like not really as a business, but as like, uh a personal thing that it that a guy did so like everything uh breaks down really really easy the minute like one small thing goes wrong and so like a lot of what i have been doing especially over the course of the last couple of months is like trying to trying to get things to a point where we can become a well-run you know like well-oiled machine and there's so much work to do to get there the first six months of ownership Honestly, the business was held together by sheer will and duct tape. I'm just like, I'm not going to let this fail. And, uh, you know, my main goal was like, don't kill it. We've gotten through that. And now it, I think it becomes about, okay, how do we actually like build the business that I want to have and that I will be proud of? And, um, there's a there's investment that's going to be required to do that. There's significantly more work that's going to be required. There's a bunch of stuff that we have to change. So, uh, you know, January 2nd, when we came back to work, I basically rolled out a bunch of like new policies that we're going to like start implementing. And I told the guys like, by the end of this year, I want this business to be something that I'm super, super proud of that everybody here who works for this business can be proud of it. They have like a vested interest in it. Um, and like, it is very clear that we are a professional organization and we're just like so far from that. So what are some specific things that you need to do right now? Like what what is burning in your mind right now every morning when you wake up? Like we gotta get this piece figured out. Uh, I would say there's three things. One, this is like so fundamental and simple, but getting the right people in place. Like basically, so one of the one of the policy changes was like unexcused absences will not be tolerated. Tardiness will not be tolerated. I have guys just like don't show up. 
They just don't show up. How guys just like roll in 45 minutes late and everybody else is like sitting around at the lot waiting for them. I'm paying people on the clock to wait for a guy because he just decided he didn't want to get up in time to get in. Um, so it starts with that, but like the the broader problem, the bigger problem is is just like getting the right people in place that I can trust that have some like sense of pride and ownership around the work that they're doing. Um, and it starts with getting there, but then once they get there, it's about honestly, just learning how to do work efficiently and profitably. Um, everything takes longer than it should. Everything takes way longer than it should. A perfect example of this, we're doing a big retaining wall job like 30 grand uh retaining wall um when i quoted this job a few months ago i expected us to be able to get it done in three weeks if we get it done in three weeks it'd be a great job for us we'd make money on it uh we've now been there i think next week will be week number eight um and it's not because we've run into a bunch of stuff that we didn't expect it's just because guys are not working efficiently so the job started uh before thanksgiving and so we took the, the time off around thanksgiving but i think before thanksgiving until christmas was basically like five weeks that they worked on things and um i'm embarrassed to say this but it's a it's a retaining wall that we were building out of railroad ties, just replacing an existing one. It's not really structural, it's more like visual. Uh, over that course of time, that five weeks, they averaged laying four ties a day. Four ties a day for five straight weeks. So the week of Christmas, I took off and I went and worked on the site with them for the four days, Christmas was on a Monday. So for the four days, Tuesday through Friday. And I'm like, we're gonna, I'm gonna see how long this takes and I'm gonna run this job and you and I crew are going to work side by side uh, and we're going to see what we can get done. We got more done in those four days than they had in the five weeks up until that point. We laid 20 ties a day. Like, it, you know, this is like digging, digging down, setting footings, like all that kind of stuff. So it's not just like dropping a tie in place, pinning it and moving on. There's work to do, but like we were working five times as fast as they were. And it's not because like I have some superpower other than I'm just gonna actually stay focused and make sure that everybody stays focused while they're doing it. So um, that to me is just like a microcosm of a lot of the work that we do. Now, listen, the quality is good. So I'm happy with the quality, but like on that $30,000 job, we're probably gonna, I'm probably gonna lose 10 grand, right? Which is just like the thing that shouldn't happen. Right. Um, so that's that's the main thing. So those are like the the top two. It's like honestly, just getting reliable people and then uh you know, doing more efficient work. And then the other is we're in a slow season right now. And so it's always gonna be a slow season. Uh, look back at the previous owner's books during this time he was similarly slow I, there's not a whole lot we can do about that but uh lead gen continues to be a thing that uh i i think we've got to just like continue investing in um because i mean it's the it's it you know, along with people is the lifeblood of this business, right? doesn't matter how good the work is. doesn't matter how many people I have willing to do work. If we don't have leads coming in, if we don't have jobs coming in that are, that are being booked, like it doesn't matter. We'll just sit around and twiddle our thumbs. Right. Uh, so I've done a bunch of work to invest in that over the course of the last few months, it's starting to pay off. Um, but there's just like, that's a long-term investment to really make that happen um so that involves you know after i bought the business i rebuilt the website uh we're doing a bunch of work in the context of like seo right now we've done advertising i would love to get out of advertising uh but right now it's just been like a necessary cost and it's not it's not a cheap one but it's like in the short term a thing that we just like have to do 
so that's the other the other thing that's like top of mind is uh at what point is are the leads going to be flowing in organically at a rate that can sustain and grow the business without me having to spend as much money on basically google ads as i do right now you follow <clears throat> excuse me you follow the dumpster rental guy bodie yeah yeah he and i talked yeah. um yeah he and i talked about uh some seo stuff i heard it also listened to your episode with him yeah they are doing some good work right now anyways i just uh, i didn't know if you'd come across some of his stuff um yeah i want to I want to go back before we jump into kind of the lead generation because we've had several episodes where we talk specifically about that. Um, I think you bring an interesting perspective here because you know you're coming from tech. You're used to managing the persona of the team member who works for a tech company. Now you're jumping into the service business, and I want to dive into like how you're approaching hiring that person to be in the field. So, like you mentioned. You know, the cruise land for railroad ties a day, you go in the field, just bring an energy and almost just like an effort and a focus to that and you increase efficiency. So when you look at this business from a high level, how do you make sure that each crew, well, first off, how big is your crew or team size? Uh, so you got three different teams. Each team is between three and four people depending on the season and stuff so like we we run between with office staff we run around like 15 employees Jeez. yeah um so the, the question being how do you make sure somebody is in place to keep that focus and efficiency up moving forward or how are you approaching that yeah it starts with the foreman uh, so to be clear, I think, I think some of this is my fault. I, I don't think this is all like, uh, I think I have blame in this and that is that starts with getting the right person in place that I can hold accountable to how job sites are run and how efficient they can be. And so this is one of those places where I basically just ran with what the previous owner had in place and. I have realized over time that's not good enough. And so to answer your question, how do you do that? I, like I have that figured out on the tree crew. The tree crew is good. The tree crew is efficient. I'm happy with that. Um, it's the it's the other two crews, the landscaping and the mowing crew, where we don't have the right people in place or the people that we have in place are not doing a good enough job is what I should say. I actually think that uh, they have the skill sets to do it. Um, it is about, I, I think it's a lot about like making sure that they understand what I expect, which I have not done a good job of. I've just kind of like sent them to jobs and, you know, allowed them to do their thing. And so one of the things that I'm focused on in the new year is like being much more explicit about my expectations around certain things. And so on that wall job, for instance, like I have been on site. I have communicated to them, this is what I expect to happen going forward. Uh, there's absolutely no reason why we can't maintain this pace going forward. And that job will be done probably today, maybe tomorrow. So like that has worked. But like, if I'm honest with you, I don't know that I have entirely figured out how I translate that to the next job, right? Because like not every job is, is a retaining wall job. If every job was a retaining wall job, it'd be very easy. And we say like, hey, the expectation is that we can move forward at this pace. And if you are not moving forward at this pace, uh, there needs to be a good explanation or there will be consequences, right? Um, and I, I think though, like the way, the way I'm approaching it is, I think it's actually a symptom of, of the lack of structure and lack of intentionality around the fundamental things that exist within the business and the, like the unprofessionalism with which the business has um existed and been run for a really long time and so the way that i'm approaching it is like i am rebuilding the foundations 
of how we exist as a business, right? I mentioned, I mentioned, you know, like tardiness, unexcused absences aren't going to be tolerated. And I, like the way I'm doing this, and and maybe this is what will work, maybe it won't, but I'll just tell you how I'm approaching it. Um, I mentioned I haven't been super clear and explicit, and so I am like over investing in clear explicit expectations and so we have implemented a point system where certain infractions you earn points you don't want points you want zero points everybody starts with zero points but uh certain infractions incur points so that's like being late uh not showing up or calling out same day you get a certain number of points um it's little things like uh if your trash if your truck is a is a trash can at the end of the day points like trucks need to be cleaned out every single day don't treat them like trash cans you smoke in the truck points we're not treat these trucks like your personal vehicles um you know like unprofessionalism whether that's on the job or toward each other points uh you know there's like a long list of things and it's like super penal if i'm honest with you it's not a, a system i want to have in place for the long term but like right now things are are poor enough that we've just got to like attack it head on and there will be some people who won't make it um and you know there are like explicit consequences for points you get 10 points suspended for a week no pay you get 20 points you're gone no questions fired like you saw this coming you earn those points fired um it's also like again this is silly that that i even have to like implement this kind of thing because it should have just always been in place but like also just i'm not going to tolerate any kind of drug use at all you should expect random drug tests right honestly not a thing previous you know employees that i had i had to send a guy to rehab because i'm like dude your weekend warrior stuff is like uh starting to affect your day-to-day and i'm not gonna have you you gotta go to rehab uh just like stuff like that so I think time will tell whether or not I'm approaching this in the right way. I'm not like prideful enough to believe that I can't screw things up or that every idea that I have is perfect or right. But the way that I interpret our current situation is like a lot of the, a lot of the inefficiency, a lot of the, um, I don't know if it's unprofessionalism, but just like a lot of the, the, things that I don't like about the business are actually symptoms of the fundamental things that I have not been successful at instituting and enforcing. And that's on me. And so the very first thing I have to do is get that fixed. And so I think probably by the end of this month, it will be, we'll be in a much better place on the foundations. And then from there it becomes, okay, well, how do we like, take that foundation and build upon it. Um, I've seen some changes already from some of those policies. I've seen guys be much more intentional, uh, much more communicative about what's going on. And so my hope is that that like starts to permeate um, longer term. And then how you hire the right people. I mean, I think the what i've done in the past and what i'll probably continue to do is like it's you know you can't look at a resume and see yeah this guy for sure is going to be good on site you can see they've worked at these other companies you can call references and and i do that um but normally what i've done for hiring is like you just have like a a week or two week probation period where we try you out and if at the end of that week or two weeks um you're not cutting it or you're not a good fit, then we move on. How do you set that up tactically? Like with your, um, just with the HR, if you bring them on as a W2 yeah. immediately yeah. and then just yeah. say, Hey, and like explicitly in the offer letter that you have a two week trial period and then we'll make a decision on whether this is a full time or not. Yeah. yeah. And I've even done it. Um, I haven't been super consistent about this, but I've even, I've even done it where we say like, you know, your pay during these first two weeks is actually slightly lower. Um, and if we find that you work, we'll raise your pay. And that's, you know, from the employee side, that's, that kind of sucks. If I'm honest with you, that's more for like 
that's an attempt for me to protect myself from a little bit of the downside, right? You bring in a guy right off the bat and you pay him 23 bucks an hour and he wastes two weeks worth of work and you've paid him for, you know, 80 hours. Uh, I would prefer to pay significantly less than that. So um, I haven't been really consistent about that, if I'm honest with you, the, the pay thing. And I don't know that that's really the right way to go about it. I think the probation period where we say we're going to evaluate you in the field and then at the end of that period, we're going to say yes or no whether or not you make it makes a whole lot of sense. But yeah, everybody's a W-2. Um, and that's important for a number of reasons. Um, mostly my like insurance liabilities, right? Like workers' comp, I want everybody to be covered by workers' comp. Um, just like all that kind of stuff i it, all the all the liability insurance i have uh i just want to make sure that there are like no um i don't know no loopholes or gotchas that i fall into there by attempting to bring on a 1099 how did you find your general manager who you mentioned you hired uh, on online job posting. Uh, he was a guy who has spent his career in banking uh, and was like looking to get out of it. Um, and I just had like a posting for a while. I had a few applicants. Honestly, not a whole lot of like quality applicants. Uh, the guy I hired was one of the few that was like worth a conversation with. Um, and he has been, uh, I think he has been really willing to learn. The main thing that I was concerned about bringing him in was I just needed somebody to make sure they understood how to price jobs, how to quote jobs. Um, because like I said, we have to like, that is a constant thing. We have to continually be out quoting jobs, getting jobs. And so like, even if he didn't run the day-to-day -day of like crews and stuff like that, that was the main thing that I wanted to make sure he was doing well. And he's done a really good job about that. He like ramped up pretty quickly on pricing, understands kind of like where our costs are, what we need to be pricing jobs out to make money. Um, so he did that like well, ramped up over the course of the first month or two. And then the last few months has been about um, you know, like building, building expertise around actually running the day-to-day -day stuff, uh, working in the business on a day-to-day. -day. And so there's like just a bunch of stuff that that involves. And he had to build trust with the crews so that he could actually like enforce some accountability. Um, and I think again, in on retrospect, I don't think I set him up well for success from an accountability standpoint, like his ability to actually enforce and require things of the crews, um, because we had not explicitly articulated what it was that we expected. And so that was another big motivator behind me rolling out all of these uh, new policies in the new year is like, I wanted to be very clear what we expect. I want my GM to be able to like very clearly enforce these things and hold guys accountable. Now that he's built trust, uh, now that guys, you know, think of him as their boss, he's got to have like some framework and structure for actually consistently and equitably and fairly uh, holding the bar on these things. How do you incentivize that role? So he has um, he has a salary portion of his comp, and then he has uh, kind of a commission portion. For the first six months, uh, that commission has been all revenue based, um, because my thought there was like during that period of time, really his his role is going to be winning jobs, kind of a, not really a sales role, but like uh, you know like quoting things uh properly such that we we win these jobs 
at the rate that we expect to win them. And so like up through December, the commission portion of his comp was just revenue based. So he got a percentage of all revenue that came through. Um, from the beginning, I told him though, longer term, I wanted to incentivize him uh, like a, a more like profit-based or margin-based incentive. And so at the beginning of this year, we switched to a basically a net income-based commission, but also one that has like, that steps up his percentage if he can increase our margins. So, you know, if like at a million two revenue, our margins are 10%, he gets this percentage of those, that net income. If he could at the same level of revenue, 1.2 million increase margins to 11%, then his percentage of those profits that he gets to take increases as well. So really what I told him is I would love to make the same amount of profit with significantly less revenue. We're not super efficient. I would love to get our margins. Margin growth is what I care about this year. I don't care about revenue growth. I'm actually fine with like revenue going down if at the same time we can grow margins on that revenue. So that's how he's incentivized going forward. Um, there's also like a overall performance bonus for him. And that's basically just like my evaluation of his performance in the role. So that's, uh, you know, things like hiring and firing, um, honestly, like his ability to enforce and hold people accountable to the policies that we have in place. There's like, a, like I think five different points that I'm evaluating him on. And so that's like a portion of his bonus that he'll get at the end of the year if he's successful in that. Got it. Okay, so part of our conversation leading up to this, I think this was like several weeks ago, was you buy this business. Yeah. You've got three different revenue streams. Yeah. You've got tree services, you've got landscaping, and you've got lawn maintenance. Mm -hmm. How are you thinking about those different revenue streams right now? Because essentially you've got, like one could argue you have three well maybe maybe two different businesses right like tree service and then lumping landscaping and lawn into one yep. business how, how are you thinking about that moving forward are you gonna throw all three of those revenue streams or are you gonna look to consolidate and yep. double down on one or the other i mean honestly the way i'm thinking about it i think landscaping is a distraction and I want to cut back and maybe eliminate it over time. Uh, I think longer term, we need to probably like invest significantly in tree where the margins really are and in mowing where a combination of like good recurring revenue uh, and brand awareness is built. But the landscaping stuff is like, for the most part, a distraction. I think it's one of those things that like the previous owner um you know he grew it over two decades and it just like it was a thing that he did and then he just like continued to do it and so if i look at um if i look at our profitability across the the three services that we offer um tree profitability is good uh like i'm happy with the margins on that i want to continue to grow it the issue with growing the tree side is we don't yet have like strong enough uh lead flow to actually like spin up another crew yet so that's my goal for 2024 on the tree side is like get that to the point where we can have two tree crews and like invest really heavily in that um on the mowing side margins are not great but I think it's like a necessary investment to keep our brand uh, at people at the forefront of people's mind so that when they have tree work, 
that's who they're calling. We get a lot of that kind of stuff, right? Like storms roll through Memphis. Uh, and so a lot of our mowing customers have a tree fall, have limbs fall. They call us first, right? That's that's super important. On the landscaping side, margins are like so all over the place. So we'll do, you know, one job where margins are like, you know, net margins are like 25%, which is awesome. Uh, you do the next job and you lose money on it, right? And landscaping, I think more than tree or mowing is just very unpredictable when it comes to our ability, our specific ability to um, finish a job in the amount of time that we expect it to finish. And we have attempted to change some of our quoting to basically like bake in the buffer. And what we find is like, we just don't win jobs if we do that. And so as things are right now, I am not confident in our ability to complete landscaping jobs efficiently enough to make money. And so what I would like to do over the course of this year is like start to dial that back and potentially get out of it entirely. Um, the alternative there would be to uh, just like get out of the big jobs and focus specifically on the landscaping services that are like bed maintenance, uh, planting, like the stuff, you know, like mulching, the stuff that's like very, very predictable. Uh, we can price them in a way that both makes sense for the customer and for us. Um, and just like only do that kind of stuff and just like ignore any of these larger jobs that could blow up in our face. Um, so that's how I'm thinking about it. The, the thing that, the thing that is like preventing me from just like pulling the trigger on that, if I'm honest with you, it, it's like twofold. One, we don't yet have enough tree work for a second crew. There are two guys on my landscaping crew that I could like shift to a tree crew tomorrow. They have experience. They're great. Uh, I just need to get like hire another climber, but like those two other guys be grounds guys and they'd be awesome. Um, so there's that. And so if I were to like just kill our landscaping stuff, I'd probably have to let those two guys go and I don't want to let them go. And so like, this is the other thing that like in my mind, and I'm sure other business owners like are struggling with this as well all the time. Um, I want to make money. But like, I don't want to make a profit at all costs. Like, I don't want to just like treat people horribly. I, I didn't buy this business to just make money. I also bought this business um, as an opportunity to hopefully like have a positive influence on some people's lives. And that starts with the employees that I have. And so there are some like personnel decisions that probably a ruthless owner would have made differently. Um, there are some personnel decisions that I could be making right now to increase our, our margins to like lower our costs that I haven't made yet because, um, honestly, like I, I care about the people too much right now not too much but like I, I care about them too much to make that type of decision i think that's how it's always going to be and so um that's honestly like what's what's like preventing me from just moving forward really aggressively with cutting back the landscaping stuff is there would be there would be consequences for people that i do not want to inflict right now uh I'm okay being patient. I'm okay. I'm honest with you, and this is like a pretty privileged place to be, but like I'm okay losing a little bit of money while we figure this out. If it means that longer term, I can like do right by some of these people that, that I care about that I know are dependent upon the job that they have right now. Well, it's an interesting situation to work through. And yeah, just from an outsider's perspective, I love the tree business. 
I love any sort of maintenance style business. Mm -hmm. I talk to people in the landscaping business and look, we get asked all the time, Hey, can you guys do landscaping? And I just don't say yes, because landscaping, it opens up like you're opening up a can of worms to so much creativity and so much ambiguity on the quoting side and the estimating side. Um, and so, you know, I've seen some of the landscaping companies who have had some really good success. It's like they pick one thing and they focus really well. It's like we do pavers and that's our expertise. Um, or we do yep. boulder walls and that's our expertise. But yep. I've always been curious how these landscaping companies with the design aspect and the create create the actually do. And my gut instinct tells me, well, like that's a really hard business to crack unless you have, it's almost like, like I wonder how much of that had to do with just the owner's creativity and how much he actually just like enjoyed. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, I like, I like putting a landscape, a backyard together for someone. So it's yeah. like a, it's almost like leaning into more of a hobby. Um, anyways, I, I think I, you're I, right. I, I think, I think it's a, it's a difficult thing to do well. And so I think the people who can do it well, scalably, uh, are rewarded for it as they should be. Hey, I mean, you mentioned it just like opens up a whole can of worms. There's also the whole like long-term liability of it too, right? Like you take on drainage work. If you don't solve that drainage problem, you have a liability there, right? Um, you build a retaining wall. If that retaining wall doesn't hold up or doesn't do the job, you have a liability there. And so it's just like, that that is the other piece of it where i'm where i'm like there's a certain class of of problem that i don't want to take on long-term liability for because you know I, I want to do a job move on and not think about it again i don't want to get a call back from a customer four months and say like hey y'all came and did you know you put in a french drain now it's settling there and all the water's pooling above it and the problem is not solved and like get a call back and have to go back and fix it. Right. And we try to solve that by like having, you know, like only a, a, a short, a short period of like warranty on some of the stuff we do. But like, again, from a customer's perspective, like, you know, you're doing this thing that I'm paying you 15 grand for. I want confidence that it's going to be, holding up you know three five years down the line i don't want you to tell me that you only warranty things for six months like that's no value to me so it's to your point it's just like it's a whole mess of things and if you can do it well awesome uh there's i think there's room for companies to do things well uh and there's money to be made there if i'm honest i just don't think that we are probably right now a company that should be investing in that stuff well you mentioned that there's opportunity in the tree side of things and so from an outsider's perspective i think that's a, a much easier problem to solve just getting the lead flow for the tree side of business so i'm excited for you and what you have ahead of you phil and thanks for joining i need to wrap up this podcast i, I got to take my daughter to daycare here um and so i appreciate you joining on on the owner operator podcast sharing some insights it's really interesting to have a little bit different perspective from someone who has purchased a business in this sub 1 million revenue range and to see how you're thinking about solving some of these challenges because i believe that every business whether you start it or whether you purchase it once you get to that level you know call it over 500 and less than 1 million you're going to start dealing with these start sorts of uh you know if you call them problems or issues whatever you call them you're, you're going to have to start making decisions around these topics so thank you for sharing your insight yeah for sure uh to be clear our our revenue not that this really matters our revenue is like 1.2 million but it's definitely that size where you start to like have to figure some of these things out you have to get structures and processes in place or you just get stuck there um and for us, 
I think the danger is we get stuck there as our margins continue to erode because those efficient inefficiencies really start to permeate the entire business. Um, I think my perspective, my hope is that like addressing those allows us to uh, basically break through the ceiling that we've kind of hit on the revenue side. Yes, apologies for misspeaking there. I took your purchase price it's number fine. and had, had that <laughs> yeah. in my head. It's, it's so, totally fine. <laughs> um, thank you for joining on the Owner Operator Podcast. I really do appreciate it, Phil. This Phil Hodges. Yeah, for sure. I mean, excuse me, Phil Barrows with uh, Hodges Tree and Landscape. Yep. Right. Where can people find you online if they have questions? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter as... Um, I guess my handle is tree service dude. Uh, I try to share full transparency around financials and all the stuff that we're struggling with there. Uh, if you want the company, it's HodgesTreeLandscape.com. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for joining. We appreciate it.